blind spots? Which are the key blind spots that you want to uh, uh, bring to people's attention? Uh, key blind spots is, a, again, around the same subject, just just customers are, are blind spotted in terms of their lack of understanding of finance. So it's just to fill in the blanks with people. You know, when we leave school, we know nothing about finance. And so many business owners are, are still in exactly the same position. So it's really just to um, to give them some food for thought and and so that they can go away and actually have a think about how it can be utilised within the business. So what are the areas that they're potentially leaving undeveloped that could be developed if they had capital, but they don't even know they can? Just things like so often we're seeing it a lot at the moment. A lot of businesses are, are coming to us saying, look, we're we're looking to boost our working capital. We're sort of unsure what's what's coming up. And you look at it and you, you start chatting to them and it turns out actually that they've in the last two years, they've spent half a million pounds cash on machinery that's now in their factory. And now they're coming to us for working capital. That's fine. We can do the working capital. But if we'd have financed the equipment at the point it was going in, your interest rate probably would have been a third or, or worst case, half of what it would be for working capital. It's really interesting. I, I'm seeing uh, governments like the Irish government now investing in housing when you know interest rates are at 5%, when they should have invested in housing was when um, interest rates were at 0%. You see this at a governmental level, you, you see this at every level. So what, why is it people have these blind spots? I mean, you know, governments should presumably have uh, people advising them, you'd, you'd have thought. Yeah, absolutely. I think from um, it, it comes down to education, doesn't it? I think we at the point we leave school, you know, just on the basics of, of personal finance, because it's not too dissimilar to business finance, is there's good and bad types of, of finance. And when we leave school, we don't understand credit reports. We don't understand how mortgages work. We don't understand how interest rates work. And because of that, that translates into business. And a lot of business owners we see that their business growth is stunted just because of their adverse adverse opinion on debt. When actually, when you educate these people as to the good types and the bad types of debt, it opens their eyes and it makes them think about things very differently. For example, we, I mean, if you ask people about mortgages, as an example, if I, if I said to nine out of ten, or if I said to ten customers, "Have you got any personal debt?" they would all assume that I'm talking credit cards, loans, maybe a car and finance. None of them would consider a mortgage as debt, but it is debt, but it's secured against the asset, obviously against the property, where, again, in the business world, you can have types of debt that are secured against the equipment. I appreciate it is still debt, but from a, a lender's point of view, as you're um, you know, as you're looking to grow as a business and, and move forward, other lenders that you approach will very clearly see that that actually is asset finance. So that is secured debt. It's secured against a specific asset. Whereas if you used a loan to purchase that same piece of equipment, and the next underwriter that you go to for finance would just see an unsecured loan on your balance sheet or your, your P&L sheet, they wouldn't be able to differentiate between that. So it's just getting the basics across of the different right. types. So in of in effect, what you're saying is that by taking the wrong type of finance, you're damaging or lessening your credit worthiness in the eyes of other lenders. Yeah. And you're probably incurring higher costs because they see you as a higher risk if they'll lend you the money at all. Yeah, exactly that. We've seen so many customers come into us and they've now sort of just realized, oh, we do actually need some working capital. We're running out of money. Where actually, if we'd have been speaking to these customers a year ago, two years ago, we'd have been able to position them much better because we could have potentially released equity against existing assets that they own. And and um, refinance is, is far cheaper than a traditional loan today. It's just looking at what um, what avenue best suits them, really. But a lot of it just comes down to financial planning. And an awful lot of it is that customers just don't actually realise what can and can't be financed in terms of equipment or office fit-outs, as an example, or you know any, anything, anything at all. Customers are very surprised at what can actually be financed. And so in terms of that, that's where you've got physical assets. 
typically uh, service businesses. So can we explore the kinds of finance that's available to them? Because a lot of the people listening to this are probably consultants or independents of some sort. Yep. So, so that's, a, that's, a, that's an interesting point as well, because you kind of alluded to that that's just for the physical assets. But actually, what we're experts in is financing the not so traditional assets. So, um, you know, if you've got consultants that are having a small office fit out, as an example, we can fund the entire fit out from floor tiles to suspended ceiling, all of the IT equipment, vehicles, things like that. And then if they're looking to you get a lot of consultancy businesses that need funding for marketing or specific contracts that would very much fall into commercial loan territory as opposed to asset finance so yeah absolutely there the the products are open to to businesses we deal with a lot of consultants actually interesting my guest today is chris martin of origin finance uh welcome chris thank you for having me um sorry to spring that on you but uh you pretty much started the interview by answering so thoroughly. So I thought may as well capitalize on that. Um, Absolutely. Would you mind giving us maybe 60 to 90 seconds on your background? So people... Yeah, understand. absolutely. Yeah, so I joined the um, the commercial finance world back in the 2008. I joined a uh, my previous employer. I was one of only three people in there at the point that I started. And I worked for them for around 12 years. And at the point I left, we'd grown that business to 63 employees. And we were the largest privately owned finance brokerage in the UK. Over that period, you know, I've dealt with, obviously I've dealt with, the, with several household brands, but more specifically, we've, uh, I've worked with a number of startup companies, um, small one-man bands that have now gone on to, 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 to own multiple sites. So we have access to, as a, as a brokerage, we have access to 126 lenders. Um, so the types of facilities that um, and types of customers that we've helped over the years have ranged absolutely from the new start business looking to open their first takeaway right up to a, um, a, a multinational alcohol company that's looking for, for warehouse fit outs that, that run into the, the tens of millions and, and anything in between. Okay, so let's assume that many of the people coming to this episode are essentially finance illiterate, um, yeah. because certainly I have been for most of my career. Uh, luckily, I married an accountant, so um, that you know, find people whose strengths make your weaknesses irrelevant. But it is such a minefield. And I remember when I first started out, I was reaching out to my franchise and said, this is the kind of help that I need. And unfortunately, it wasn't uh, particularly forthcoming. I think they were probably struggling as well because they didn't seem to have a clue. <laughs> yeah. And what was interesting is, you know, it took years and years and years to try and get that right. And I made some terrible uh, decisions in terms of accountants. I, I had a really good one. And then I got seduced away by a very boozy lunch. And then um, there was this litany of terrible choices. So I had to hand over uh, the reins of all the finances to my wife to prevent bankruptcy, I think. Um, <laughs> but the reality is it's exceptionally dangerous, that level of ignorance. So let's just do a sort of 101 foundation on uh, what people need to be aware of. Yeah, absolutely. So that it, it's, um, it's quite an underlying philosophy of our, our, our business really is, is to educate customers around finance. You know, we all leave school and we, in terms of personal finance, we have no idea about credit reports, mortgages, credit cards, how interest rates work, how, how underwriters look at uh, applications and, and look at individuals. That quite often moves forward into businesses, as as a lot of our customers have started businesses. I mean, some of them are, are still turn, are turning over tens of millions, and you speak to them, and they just have, at best, a very very basic understanding of finance. And what they what they could actually do with is a little crash course in the different types of funding available, because commercial finance is a, is an umbrella for an awful lot of products. Before we go into uh, those products and those different types of solutions. Let's start with why people have such a negative perspective on debt, and yet so many people take on the, uh, the wrong type of debt. I mean, if I look at consumer debt in this country, it's quite terrifying, and I don't suspect it's much different in the US. 
So I think a lot of it is we're quite willing to take on debt in our personal names, you know, in in terms of in our personal life, when we look at buying a house or buying a car or gym membership or our sky bill or anything like that, everything is paid monthly. So we're in our personal world, we're very focused on debt. And a lot of businesses are built around selling things on a monthly basis that uh, makes it more manageable for customers. Therefore, more people will sign up. But when it comes to the business world, we very much we speak to a lot of customers and we, we sort of start to talk to them about business finance. And they straight away, they say, look, we, we wouldn't use business finance at all. And you sit there and say, well, have you got a mortgage on your house? Is, is your car on finance? And they say, yeah, of course it is. And you say, well, you understand the benefits of finance in your personal life. Why is that not being translated into your, into your business life? That's quite often the, the, the sort of opening question we have with people. And quite often you'll hear a, a ton of different excuses and a ton of different responses to it. But quite often what it actually just means is that, look, we don't have a good enough understanding of finance. And, you know, a lot of people are, we're in a, a sort of society now where we're more reluctant to ask questions, I think, than we should be, rather than customers sort of asking questions about how things can benefit their business. They're actually very quick to shut it down and, and, and never explore the options. Especially in this marketplace, where things are definitely in the UK and Elsewhere in the world, they're starting to look, um, you know, we're, we're officially now in recession. So I was listening to a, a podcast of an Irish economist called David McWilliams, and we're now number 23 on the OECD level audit of global healthcare. Ireland is number 11. Now, you think about the difference between 40, 50 years ago and how things have changed. I think taking risk in this market is important. Playing it safe is probably the most dangerous thing that you can do. But playing it, uh, thinking you're playing it safe and being ill-informed is probably the most dangerous thing of all. Yeah, I would agree entirely. We're seeing, I was fortunate, fortunate, whichever way you want to look at it, but I suppose from an experience point of view, I was fortunate enough to be in this industry through the last recession. And what we saw was that the, the companies that were, were able to bounce back the quickest were the companies that didn't relax on marketing. They didn't uh, they didn't make too many redundancies. I think a, a lot of uh, a lot of companies, particularly with the amount of negative press and things around at the moment, it's very easy to um, to sort of think, right, how can I scale back? How can I uh, how can I reduce my outgoings? And actually, the, the thing to continue focusing on is, is how can how can we improve our, our income? It's concerning how many people um, are willing to just sort of shy away from a, a recession and, and back off where, you know, if they'd have had the correct finances in place and the correct strategies in place, whether that's having a, a good finance director on board or whether that's working with a good finance broker or being part of some sort of business network, just people that you can that you can discuss these points with. You'll always find the customers that have uh, a shoulder to lean on, if you like, through these tough times, come out fighting. Um, and I appreciate it can be an incredibly daunting period, but a lot of it is due to lack of understanding. I think a lot of it is down to people getting in their own way, their ego not letting them see something. They they reach a conclusion and then go and find evidence to prove their point of view. And now is the time you need to really open your mind uh, to how the different moving parts in your organization, the different moving parts in your ecosystem can play a part and think differently. Don't think in the traditional way that you always have. Think about combinations of solutions that end up taking you to the end result that you're looking for. And Stop reacting to the headline, the mo headline of the moment, and changing your strategy on the basis of that. Think about where your customers are going to be in 12 to 24 months' time and work out how you can meet them there. And if you can use finance to get you there and to help you to track your customers so that you're alongside them on their journey as they hit their you know, difficult moments, their struggling moments on their journey, 
then when they are ready to buy, you're pretty much the only show in town. And 2024 is expected to be the depth of the recession at the moment. Who knows what will happen, may get worse, may get better. But assuming that's the case, so you've got 13 to 25 months to make the best of this. Yeah. Where can you advise people to focus in terms of investment once they've cut the fat from their organization in order to not cut into the bone and the muscle? Where can people best invest and where can they find the best funding so that they're not being saddled with crippling, spiraling interest rates? Yeah, so it's a great point. And it's this is conversations we're having with a lot of companies at the moment is just really reassessing what they've currently got in the business in terms of debt. One example was uh, one customer that I spoke to specifically didn't um, has never taken on any any debt in their business. The only debt they've ever had is an overdraft. And when we actually looked at the the overdraft, you know, they had a I think from memory a hundred thousand pound overdraft. And at every point in the last 12 months, they've been at least £85,000 into that overdraft. Wow. <clears throat> and what, what I actually said to that customer was, can you send me a, a snapshot of what that overdraft has cost you in the last 12 months? And he did that. And then I ran the numbers on a straightforward £100,000 loan to replace his overdraft, you know, 60 straightforward monthly payments as opposed to constantly relying on your, your overdraft. And it almost halved his um, his cost per year yeah. just on. And, you know, that's somebody that um, very quickly said, no, 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 we don't take any debt within the business. It was just fortunate that he was um, he was willing to give me a little bit more time on the phone and um, and let me ask a few more questions. But that that is a, a prime example. Other customers and I've seen a lot of this lately is customers taking short term high interest loans to to cover working capital for upcoming projects now that that's fine if you can build the margins in and that all works then great but actually looking at existing debt within the business or existing assets within the business we've just done a um a large refinance transaction for a um a scaffolding and formworks company that originally came to us needing some working capital so they just wanted a cash injection into their bank you know they've had a um a tricky time through covid so their accounts aren't looking perhaps as strong as as they would like, and from a um, from a commercial loan provider's point of view, they weren't eligible for the the tier yeah, one funding. Um, you know, they were just eligible for the short term higher interest rate products. And we actually said to them, look, you can have this product, but what we're probably better off doing is actually looking at all the kit that you own. So that particular well, supplier is not cheap, is it? No, no, it's not at all. And, you know, they've got millions of pounds worth of scaffolding, millions of pounds worth of formwork. They had £1.8 million worth of unencumbered vehicles, as an example. So the first avenue was to explore those vehicles. And actually, we came up with a facility that was around half the interest rate of what uh, they would have had to take on, on a commercial loan. And this but is the business of, of what size? In terms of turnover? Yeah. Turnover, £13 million a year. Okay, and what was the uh, the monthly saving? So the monthly saving on that, I didn't actually, I couldn't run a like for like because ultimately we we got them a five year term on the refinance, and they would have been looking okay, at. Okay, but I mean, a, a over, term. you know, in terms of how much you saved, you said half. In, if it's interest rate, right, yeah. in terms of working capital that they can either then plow back in the business or retain headcount. Yeah, I would say as a as a as a guesstimate, I'd have to run the numbers on that. But I'd say as a guesstimate, if you look at the fact that the loan was going to be such a short term fix, and the uh, the the finance that we got was long term, you're, you're probably looking somewhere in the region of ten thousand pounds a month difference in payment. Right, so it's one hundred and twenty grand a year. Yeah, and that's what three four stuff. Yeah. Well, okay. It's quite interesting with the with the amount of short term. There's a lot of situations at the moment where um, I think customers are taking short-term funding because it, they feel that it's the only solution for their business. But actually, when you look at it and you take a step back, that's just putting good money after bad. It's it's not fixing the problem. They need a sustained period of significantly lower outgoings 
and a good pile of cash to access to fund the upcoming projects and be able to dip in and out of that as and when is, is required. So in terms of financial planning, especially where people are quite naive in terms of money and yeah. uh, finance, I think the best advice I can give is work backwards from the outcome, the business that you're trying to create and the results that you're trying to generate and work backwards from there and create some milestones, maybe in six monthly steps over two or three years so that you can start to see what rules you're going to need in order to execute. And um, in order to do that, how much money you're going to need to have available in order to pay those people, recruit them, fund their department, build their team, and whatever, and work backwards from there to the point you're at today, and then bring in some financial planning help to help you work out, is it better to finance this? Because certainly within technology, the normal route is to try and get funding from VC or private equity. But with that comes also a very high failure rate in the region of uh, 85%. So again, when is it appropriate to get funding from commercial sources such as you're talking about versus getting investment from venture uh, venture capital and, and maybe uh, angel or seed? Yes, great question. And a couple of times recently, we've had some. I work with a group of uh, FDs. They're, they're sort of they're part time FDs. So so each of them will have between two and seven clients on their books. And so many occasions, you they've sort of been recruited by the, 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 their customer, if you like, quite late on in, in the process. And when they actually analyze the debt that's within the business, most of it is equity debt in that scenario. It's been it's VC money or angel investors. The customer has had to give up such a large percentage of their business. One scenario was there was a, um, a mail order delivery company. Um, they were looking for... They needed some investment, but ultimately the investment that they needed was to purchase more vehicles. And what they ended up doing was giving away from memory, it was 33% of their business to an angel investor to fund vehicles. And we're sat there and we're like, look, that we could have done that on asset finance. Yeah, you might have had to pay a 10% deposit up front as an example, but we'd have given you 60 straight manageable monthly payments and you wouldn't have had to dilute any equity within your business. And that would have left that the potential of diluting equity for the point that you need it. Because there are scenarios where you need it. There are scenarios where businesses are pre-revenue or they're going through their loss-making phase or they're in an R&D phase. Not all of those businesses will fit the traditional lenders that we work with. So that's when you go to a VC, that's when you go to an angel investor, but you certainly don't go to an angel investor or a VC to raise money to buy equipment that you could fund very easily on the high street. I mean, that surely must raise questions in the mind of the investor as to the fitness of the leadership team to lead. So presumably those company must feel quite threatened now in terms of the VC's intent, I said. Yeah, I think you've got, um, we've been through a period where interest rates have been so low, people haven't been earning interest in their banks. So they've been looking at other avenues of how they Ah, can actually earn earn some money. So a lot of the, let's call them angel investors, because it's more the angels recently than VCs uh, in this, that fall into this bracket. But a lot of angel investors are, you know, they don't have industry, they don't have business experience, let alone industry experience. What they've had is um, they've either um, had a, been made redundant or they've uh, had an inheritance payout or whatever. They've got a a, a sum of money in the bank and they want to earn some interest. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Okay. So I'm interested in something else. Very topical. At the moment, there are a lot of companies that have lost a huge amount of value and they may be acquisition targets. And I suspect in the SME space, they're going to be a, the last recession. What we had was it was really interesting. The average age of MSP owners, I think, was 58. So they were looking at retirement. And most of them had, were looking at about seven year retirement. But when the last downturn hit, that reduced to six months. And about 70% of them 
wanted to exit as quickly as possible. So companies suddenly became very acquirable if you knew what to look for. But the problem was a lot of those people were essential to the business because they were still on the tools. Now, for businesses where the founder is a little bit doddery, maybe at my age, and they want to exit, is there commercial funding available to help them uh, for those who are on the acquisition trail to pick up those businesses? Yeah, absolutely. And it's something we're seeing, um, something we're seeing quite a lot of. We've always been involved in acquisitions. Currently, there's a as an example, there's an awful lot of pharmacy acquisitions going through at the moment. And we've got customers that are approaching us that are looking to acquire those businesses. There's all sorts of different methods in which we can raise the funding. You can leverage the um, the sort of current debtors within the, the business that you're looking to purchase with an invoice finance facility or something like that. You can look at there's specific lenders out there that do loans for management buyouts, management buy-ins and acquisitions. Um, So there is a vast array of products for those people at the moment. But uh, it's important that they they pick up the phone and ask the question to people because you look at it and we've seen a few lately where, you know, if you just look at the actual acquisition cost of that business, the customer is probably not eligible for it. But actually, when you break down, when you look a bit more into the business they're purchasing and you realize the amount of debtors they've got and and you realize that there's a potential to to have the directors stay on for a a six-month period for the handover, all things like that add massive gravitas to the application and will make you far more likely to get accepted for funding. There is a a significant amount of um, acquisition finance happening, and a lot of it is made up of a combination of products as opposed to here's a loan for half a million pounds to go and buy that business. It quite often can be two or three products that go into one package to secure the funding. Okay, what about distress finance? Because obviously last time that was uh, very prevalent where there were you know organizations coming in, picking up businesses and pennies on the pound because they were insolvent. So when a business is in distress, first of all, what kind of finance should they avoid? What kind of finance is available to them that actually is not going to end up being a millstone around their neck? Start with those. If a business is um, distressed currently, then being brutally honest, there's no point approaching any sort of tier one or, or maybe even tier two commercial loan providers. The tier one and tier two, you know, there has to be a profitable business. It has to be your turnover needs to be in line, if not increasing on previous years. So what it's important to look at with the distressed businesses, as an example, we've just done one actually in the manufacturing sector. The business had been, to be honest, it was borderline profitable uh, profitable prior to COVID. And then when COVID happened, the, the business took a complete dive. And I think, to be honest, half of that was the fact that the director had kind of just given up at that point. He was close to retirement anyway, and then COVID came and he just didn't have enough fight left in him to pull the business back out. Another customer of ours actually acquired that business. And in that scenario, all we did was leverage all of the debt against the existing debtors within the the, the target company or the, the acquisition company, and also all of the equipment that was on site. There was a a huge amount of equipment on site, some of it incredibly old, some of it um, no more than four years old. But the, the valuation on that equipment was was very significant and allowed us to raise enough to do the acquisition. You're saying that by being able to have visibility of what those assets are, you can borrow in advance of making the acquisition yep. and use that loan money to f- fund the acquisition and then... Right. Wow. Yeah, I it's absolutely the, the, the key point in all of that is just being open and transparent with the lender. You have to make the lender aware that this is what's going to happen. This is exactly what the funds are going to be used for. The last thing we want is a lender to inject a load of cash into a business and then find out two months later that the directors have both left and the business has been sold. It's very important to, to just make the lenders aware that that is what is happening. And you'll find that actually the lenders will tailor their product to suit rather than springing something on them at the last minute. So what sort of 
level of funding does that go up to? Are we talking hundreds of thousands, millions, tens of millions? Tens of millions. We've done a few lately. I think the largest one we've done in the last in the last year is probably £2.7 million of, of refinance for a essentially a struggling manufacturer within the UK. It was an American-owned company with a UK subsidiary. So we funded 2.7 million for them. But we are also actually currently in, in advanced talks on a um, a refinance deal that's that's probably going to end up somewhere between 8.5 and, and 9.5 million. As a general rule, what lenders will do is they'll have a, a trade valuation carried out on the assets. So it's very important to understand the difference between trade and retail. As an example, if a piece of kit is going to sell on the open market for £100,000 as a a rough figure, then probably your trade value on that is going to be something like £85,000. And then as a rough rule across the industry, lenders will lend around 80% of the trade value. So you get about 64%, something like that, 60%. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Very interesting. Okay, so that that opens up all sorts of possibilities for companies that have got their their finger on the pulse. And interesting. Okay. So So just on that point, we're actually, as a country, we actually have the average business has more equity tied up in machinery than any other country in the world. Right. Okay, which means that there's a load of leverage there that's untapped. Absolutely. And Okay. So let's go back to the services businesses again. Uh, let's talk about some of those um, uh, options. So w- what's available if you're not doing a refer, but you're just a business that wants to get money for marketing? You're a service business, uh, yeah. training, consultancy, coaching, maybe even on- online accountancy. Yeah, absolutely. So we do a um, we do a lot of um, funding for businesses like that. Firstly, um, you mentioned accounting they actually fall under professionals. So there's a a, a product called Professions Loans, which is available to any professionals, um, such as accountants, pharmacists, surveyors, solicitors, veterinary practices, et cetera. So there's another product that's available to them where lenders are a little bit more lenient and a bit more receptive to doing higher numbers. But uh, your average consultancy business wouldn't fall under professionals from, from a lender's point of view. So the types of funding that can be available to them are your standard term loans. So we can uh, we can put a cash injection in, for example, a, a five-year loan with just 60 straightforward monthly payments. You can then utilize that money to grow the business. So whether that's- And that market, would be fixed or variable? Everything we do is fixed. Right. Okay. So That's why it's it- so important to get your finances in place now because- being realistic, interest rates are going to continue going up. How high do you see them going? Personally, obviously, I don't know. But I was reading a few articles, particularly in America, about American interest rates, where there's been quite a lot of articles recently to suggest that actually they're probably not going to go as high as what was initially anticipated. I certainly see in the UK... I can see us going, where are we now, 3% as a base rate. I can certainly see us going towards 5% over the over the next six months, and then I would hope evening out from there. I would hope that interest rates are not going to go beyond 55 6% as a, a Bank of England base rate, but uh, obviously that's just my opinion. Okay, so let's talk about the impact of inflation because obviously that has a huge effect. I was at a conference a few months ago, and within uh, construction, I think it was 24%. Within hospitality, it was 12%. And that, that was months back, and you know, it's only been climbing. How can businesses use finance in order to inoculate themselves against inflation? Is that even possible? Yeah, it is. I mean, a good example, actually, a, um, a customer of ours, that we we did some some stock funding for recently actually they were concerned about the sorry the what cost. stock funding um so they they ju- the just looking product. for yeah they were just looking for some uh, some loan money in the business that they were going to use to increase the the level of stock they hold they were a um a builders merchants um specifically roofing 
and when we were when I got chatting to that customer, there was um, there was a few core products that they sold as a business that if they had the capital to, they could hold more stock. They had the um, they had the facilities to hold more stock. They just didn't have the working capital to buy more stock. When I got chatting to them, I set them a task of just going away to the to their wholesale suppliers, and and having a chat with the wholesale suppliers, just saying, look, if we were to order. I don't know, a hundred crates of uh, or a hundred pallets of roof tiles. Let's just say uh, a time instead of five to ten pallets. What sort of discount is available? And I think from memory they got something around a six and a half percent, seven percent discount by purchasing up front. And the actual level of interest that they were paying was less. So by taking a, a stocking loan, they actually instantly added into the profit margin of their business. The other thing I would say with with inflation as well is, again, it's a time to just make sure that the debt that you have or haven't got in the business at the moment is is the correct one for you in the over the correct term. Again, we can explore releasing equity against equipment uh, that's tied up in uh, sorry equity that's tied up in equipment um, to give a cash injection, which can then be used in order to purchase more stock. Another very good point that a lot of people miss, and it's it's a good one for businesses that don't think they need any debt, is ultimately most businesses, if they buy products from a wholesaler, they'll probably have payment terms with that wholesaler, whether it's 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, whatever, whatever it is. Quite often, if you actually went to that wholesaler and said, look, I don't want to pay in 30, 60 or 90 days, I want to pay now, the day you deliver, what discount can you give? We in the background can then look at some finance products that would release that amount of cash for you. And quite often, the discount that you get from the, your wholesaler or your supplier is, is far more than what the actual interest costs are. Very, very interesting. Smart. So again, I hope people are paying attention because it does sound like there are some really powerful tools out there if you get the advice and you're not afraid to explore different options. But you've got to think differently. You notice how Chris is looking at ways that you can fund the business and drive your profit margin. Because at this market, 3 4% here, there, makes all the difference. Yeah. So let's talk about export funding. Because at the moment, obviously in the UK, we've our rules have changed, whichever way one uh, looks at it. And uh, I'm curious about both the challenges, but also the opportunities that export funding uh, affords companies in the UK. Yeah, absolutely. So export funding is not um, its not an area that we're absolute specialists in. Do we do it? Yes, we do. But uh, it's, not a, it's not a big part of our, our business. But the the customers that we're working with at the moment that do a lot of exporting, they're quite often having to, you know, manufacture the goods as an example, ship it out to whatever country, and they're not seeing payment until it's arrived with the customer. We've got some a couple of customers actually that uh, that do a, a fair percentage of of export finance. We've recently had drawdown facilities put in place for them, so that a drawdown facility is kind of a. Uh, a hybrid between an overdraft and invoice finance. It's not directly connected to specific invoices. The limit of it just moves in relation to your, your debtor's book. But we've got uh, a customer we're just about to finalize a transaction with today that does a lot of exporting. Invoice finance wasn't the right product for them because generally you can't finance, uh, or you can, but it's very difficult to finance invoices for foreign customers. So this drawdown facility that we've put in place, it's going to be about £2 million by the time it's it's completed. And that is a pot of funds that the customer can access in order to fulfil an order. They only have to pay interest on their, the, the amount that they've borrowed at the point they're buying it, and they can pay that capital back at any point. So that frees up. A, 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 a so they pay central... daily interest on the basis of however yeah. long they borrow that proportion. Yeah. Okay, very so similar again, to, very similar to invoice finance, but it's not so it's not so heavily connected to your actual specific invoice. Right, so that that's managed, you know, um, funding your cash flow. Yeah. Okay, let's go back again to some of the fundamentals. Then, when you're looking at applications, what are you looking at that immediately raise red flags? 
red flags from a point of view that we wouldn't be able to help the customer yeah. or, or or that maybe that the customer is about to make a terrible decision yeah i mean firstly we're not financial advisors so we're not allowed to give advice all we can do is 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 talk about um recent experiences and and just try and present the customer with a a like for like comparison we get a lot of customers um we I briefly mentioned to you before the call started but we get a lot of customers that are coming to us um saying oh i need some some cash flow funding for for this project that project or or, or something else or we just want to build cash reserves for the uh, for the unknowns and then when you get talking to them it actually turns out that they've then bought one one specific scenario a chap came to us looking for about a quarter of a million pounds to boost his working capital and when we got talking to him, it turns out that 18 months prior, he paid outright half a million pounds for a load of machinery for his, his fabrication plant. Now, in that scenario, the interest rates that we could have given him on that equipment, even if he was purchasing it today, I mean, I know interest rates were, were cheaper 18 months ago. So let, let's say he came to us today and wanted to purchase that equipment. The interest rate would be half at least of what it will be for the cash flow funding that he wants. Um, so it's, it's so many customers come looking for the wrong product at the wrong time. And it, it's all just due to the lack of financial planning. We notice a, a, a very big, a huge difference, actually. It's something that we measure is the impact of finance directors and customers. And the cust the conversations we have with customers whereby they have a, an experienced finance director in-house or a part-time advisor or whatever versus the customers that don't have any of that is entirely different. The conversations we have where an FD is involved is we're talking about the next six, 12, 18 months funding and what the business is going to be doing, what, what it needs to generate uh, capital-wise or cash-wise in order to fulfill that growth. Whereas when we talk with, to customers that don't have um, FDs in, it's very much we're talking about the next month or two, what that business needs to get through the next month or two. Um, and it all just comes back to the planning. So the first things are the, the red flags of when customers come to us and they do need cash flow now, that's fine. We can facilitate that. But let's have a chat about how we avoid this situation happening next time. It's you know, if you come to a, a, a lender or a broker or whatever, when you're within four weeks of running out of cash, you've left yourself very, very few options and you've not left a lot of time in order to get those options in place. Whereas we'll, we'll fund that problem now to make that disappear. But let's have a chat about other facilities that can be available to you more long term for the business to ensure that these these cash pinches never happen. I think a lot of it, I, I remember working with one of my clients and um, at the dining room table, age 12, his father, who was quite the strict disciplinarian, bullied him around his 12 times table and mm. he never quite recovered from it. And he ended up bringing in multiple MDs or CEOs for his company, uh, which was really well reputed and very successful in its own little niche. And every one of them ripped him off because he wasn't financially aware. Now, it feels very common that lack of financial literacy is the undoing of business owners and founders because you know, they don't really understand finance people and fi how finance people think. So what would you what kind of level of uh, learning and what resources are available for people who might be considering starting out in business? or might be yeah, 10, 20 years in and still not really understand it and think maybe now would be a good time. Yeah, I mean, in terms of what I would suggest is, is, is just pick up the phone and have a chat with us. We like to the amount of customers we speak to that don't have a specific requirement today or, or, or perhaps have not even thought about finance, but we speak to them today and we give them some some feedback on where the market is at the moment, how lenders might view their company, how their, their sector is performing versus other sectors from a lender's point of view, and just opening their eyes to the sorts of facilities that can be available. I know a lot of our competitors, as in a, a lot of businesses, full stop, are just looking for the, 
the quick wins today you know what what requirement does the customer have today and if they don't have anything they're not interested but we're very different to that the amount of customers that come back to us as a result of of conversations we've had two or three years ago but they're now finally in a position where they're ready to move forward with things and launch a business or grow their business that is interesting because that feels very much like the kind of strategy that i espouse which is that you focus on the medium to long term you play the game of long-term selfish. You know that eventually, when the timing is right, if you turn up often enough at the moments when they need help and you're consistent and you're reliable and um, they'll let you in and you let them in. So I'm curious about your long-term prospecting strategy as uh, an individual. Talk to me about that. Yeah, so a lot of the um, a lot of the the clients that we deal with. I mean, as I alluded to earlier, we work with a number of um, of FDs that um, that have between two and seven clients each, and a lot of their clients might be in the R and D phase, or they might even be not. They might not even have their limited company registered yet. That's how early in the process they are. We're all about just having those conversations today, and we know that you know if. if and I'm, I'm the same myself. If somebody gives me good customer service, gives me the information I need without being salesy, da 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 da. At the point that I'm ready, I'm naturally going to go back to that person. So we've actually found massive success by by not being salesy, by being educational as opposed to sales. You start to discover more opportunities, and as soon, as, particularly finance, because. Um, most customers' perception of, of of finance brokers, people like myself, is that we're in the same bracket as traffic wardens. And apologies if there's any traffic wardens listening, but uh, that's, <laughs> that's generally how uh, that's generally how uh, a lot of customers view our industry, and that's our own fault because there has been some. You know, we we weren't particularly heavily regulated previously. That's thankfully that's all changed now. There's a lot more regulation. But I think a lot of customers' attitudes is actually the our industry's fault because of how we were allowed people to perceive us previously. Whereas now I launched Origin purely on the basis of to educate rather than to sell, to just encouraging more people to talk about finance. We're not willing to talk to people about finance. We don't ever talk to people about our personal finances. We're particularly in 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 the UK. We're very closed when it comes to finance. We don't That's want to admit that we've you, got it's finance. It's not polite to talk about money. Yeah, no, you're, and I, you're, I, you're, I just don't agree. Into you as a kid. Yeah, and we should be talking about money. Um, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it, it needs to start in the home. It needs to start at school, and people need to become financially literate. I know Robert Kiyosaki has been um, you know, banging that drum for 20, 30 years, but nothing's really changed. And I, I think there is an advantage if you, um, you're a, a cynic and a, a bit of a, an old curmudgeon that you think that basically we're a cash crop and keeping most people financially illiterate is a massive advantage if you want to sell them lots of really shitty debt and yep. then repossess their homes. But that would be cynical and mildly political. So we'll avoid that. So. Tell me this then, you're looking back and you look at your best mistake. What was it and what did you learn? My best mistake and what did I learn? Oh, what an interesting question. Best mistake and what did I learn? Well, I don't even know where to start with that one, to be quite honest. I'm trying to think of, uh, there's been plenty of mistakes. Uh, there's been plenty of mistakes uh, along the way. Okay, uh, well, that's let me sure. ask the question slightly differently, because um, mm. and forgive me, because it has to be a little bit brutal to um, uh, bring the memory home. A humbling moment where a customer taught you a vital lesson. Yeah, actually, and it wasn't a. Can I use an example that wasn't a customer? Yeah. So I was uh, a friend of mine worked in um, worked in DFS and. Um, he used to work there until eight o'clock. I used to finish work when I was an estate agent about seven. So quite often I'd I'd pop in there on my way home and and just sort of finish off the day with him in DFS. And I was sitting um, on a sofa. Was, yeah, absolutely. And uh, <laughs> I went in one day and and I could see my friend was serving a customer um, over the other side of the store. So I was just going around plumping up the sofas and stuff to save him a job before uh, it was time to finish up. And a, and a, an old boy came over to me and. And, and asked if I worked there. And I said, no, no, I'm just, just waiting for my friend. Uh, da, da, da. And he got chatting to me and he said, 
He said, what do you do? And I said, oh, I'm an estate agent. And he said, oh, so you're in sales? I said, yeah. And he said, let me teach you one piece of advice. And it's always stuck with me since. The chap that was talking to me was Lord Kirkham, the owner of DFS. I didn't right. know that at the time. <laughs> and then he, he went on to tell me who he was. And he said about, um, this was about 2004, I think it was, when um, a particular Audi RS4 had just come out. And he'd seen a TV advert. Um, he was at home in his scruffs. He jumped in his car, went down to the local Audi dealership because he wanted to place his order. And um, because he was in his scruffs, a the the salesperson in there was very dismissive of him, wasn't particularly helpful. So anyway, Lord Kirkham got in his car, went to the the next city or the next the closest dealership, arrived there, and the salesperson that greeted him was, you know, in the first week of the job very enthusiastic, didn't care what he looked like, just wanted to help him. He then ordered two, two, two brand new Audis and he forced the salesperson to ring the salesperson from the previous dealership and just say, oh, by the way, we've had this gentleman come in. He's just paid cash for two brand new Audi RS4s. But the, the moral of the story is never judge a book by its cover. And I think that's the biggest one that stuck with me. Some of the customers that we speak to and you, you get talking to them on the phone and you have a great conversation with them and then without without this sounding rude and then you get a bit further into the the transaction and you might see a set of accounts for their business and some bank statements and things and you realize they're absolutely smashing it but from that initial phone call you probably wouldn't have thought that mm. yeah don't never underestimate your customer also stop overestimating your own capability. Excellent. Uh, Chris, this has been a really fascinating and very instructive conversation. Thank you. How can people get hold of you? If they want to speak to me directly, I'll uh, happily give you um, our contact details. So the office number is 01604-926-226. My mobile number, if you want to call me directly, is 07935-220. 402 and my email address is nice and simple it's just chris at originfinance.co.uk and i would encourage anybody that's listening whether you think you need finance whether you think you know about finance whether you've never spoken to anybody about finance pick up the phone and just have a conversation with us There'll be no hounding you to sign finance agreements. We won't try and push anything on you, but we'd like to just have a a conversation with you. And as long as you leave that call with more information than you had at the start of it, we've done our job. Excellent. Chris Martin, thank you. Thank you very much for your time. Been a pleasure. So this is Marcus Kauke signing off once again from the Inquisitor podcast. If you've enjoyed this, then please like, comment, share, and subscribe. And if you know someone who's just about to throw themselves into some form of financial arrangement, maybe have them listen to this episode and see what their options are. I think you'll agree that Chris has been very objective. I found this incredibly informative. So once again, thank you. If you want to get a hold of me, Marcus at laughs-last.com. And if you want to talk to me about coaching or training, there'll be a link in the podcast blurb. In the meantime, stay safe and happy selling. Bye-bye.